Happy Friday, developers. Today is November 3rd, 2023, and welcome back to our roundup episode where you can catch up on the episodes you missed and get a quick rundown of the past two weeks from Pod Rocket. So let's get started. First, we had Theo Brown on to talk about what he saw as the future of React. In this clip, he relates the current state of React to the AngularJS to Angular move and what difficulties lie for React going forward. So I think the spot we're in right now is kind of similar. We're in between where like the Angular JS to Angular move was and the move to hooks, where none of our previous ways of doing things are broken. Like you can take code from an ancient React app. I actually found source code from like the blog from 2012 on the official React blog and ran it on the server with the new server component model without issue. The challenging piece that's put us in this weird spot is that the new React model and these new awesome things we're all so excited about can't be adopted from the bottom up the way we could with something like hooks. Like when I was at Twitch, when we were building using React for everything on the web, hooks happened. We updated the React version in the application. It didn't really break anything that I can recall. And then any team that wanted could start adopting hooks in components that were all the way at the bottom of the tree. They didn't have to consult with other teams, get approval, do anything. They just use state instead of using a class component. That isn't an option with the new React model with server components. So that's put us as a community in a weird spot where this really exciting new thing isn't something we can easily start playing with at our jobs just yet. But we haven't even started talking about what that new thing is yet. So just wanted to give the context of where we are as a community right now. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, a bad spot to be in. It's just it's a different type of spot, you would say, right? Yeah, I, I think it's worse than previous new things in React in the sense that with hooks, it was so easy for one person at your company to be enthusiastic about it and get them adopted in a really meaningful way just by using them in some components and slowly people seeing the benefit of the pattern. It's much harder to get the necessary buy-in to start using server components at your job. And that's the concern I have that makes this new spot not bad, but not as smooth as where we were with previous major innovations in the React ecosystem. I mean, you mentioned the elephant in the room here. It's server components. That's a spot and pinnacle that we're sitting on right now. And so you're mentioning like getting into this new paradigm. You can't go top down necessarily. You really have to change the way that you're approaching the app. And in, in your talk, you mentioned a few times that React in general, it asks a lot from us. It asks a lot from developers. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean in that phrase particularly and how it relates to the challenges with adopting server components? Yeah, so from its genesis, React challenged a lot of what we consider normal as developers, especially web developers. At the time React was introduced, the MVC model had fully taken over the browser and we were really committed to it with frameworks like Angular where you kept your state, your model, and your template entirely separate from each other and would build increasingly complex ways to interact between those three layers. React said, why are we cutting these layers up? Why don't we write the code that describes what the user sees and how they behave with it, starting from the base unit of a component rather than the base unit of a template? And that shift fundamentally changed the direction of React as a whole. And, or not React, that shift fundamentally changed the direction of the web as a whole. And it's taken a while for us to, as a community, really learn those lessons and also teach them. 
Next, we welcome back Ryan Carniato, creator of SolidJS, to talk about meta frameworks and how Solid fits into that discussion. It feels like everyone needs a meta framework at this point. As soon as we had Solid released, it was like, oh, where's your Next.js? Does it work with Next.js? And luckily for, I mean, kind of two factors, we needed that. I was kind of hoping that the ecosystem community would get there at some point. But then Beat came out, as more specifically Beat 2, and they added SSR capability. And it was like too tempting to just get in. And, I, and to be fair, V2's release spawns not just Solid Start, but Svelte Kit, Astro, really. All these frameworks basically came out of the aftermath of that. I called it Solid Start in it because I view it actually as a set of starter templates, so to speak, less a meta framework, which is because I've never been one of those people to use a meta framework. Like, when I worked at companies, I would build my own webpack configs or what was needed, design that out. And I know that's not everyone's favorite thing to do, but like I never had a use for a CRA or Next.js or whatnot. So it was d- difficult to balance attention between people wanting these pre-configured pieces and the fact that I don't like telling people too much of the do. I didn't want to be too opinionated. But it's cable stakes now because of a lot of the complexity that comes with server rendering. Solid Start was Solid's attempt at a meta framework, but maybe a slightly different type of meta framework. Yeah, it's interesting you draw the parallel there, or like maybe just the similarities and how we think about these things like the starters, the helpers versus like the thing that gets a dev using a meta framework. Because I feel like at least now they're almost synonymous so much. It's just like starting a new project that you like you reach for the thing that gets you going with some meta framework. And that is just tends to be how it happens. Was that intentional or did that you just end up falling into that pattern? The complexity that's come from adding server rendering um, to our single page app world has just necessitated this kind of shift. So when you want more functionality, there was already stuff like create React app, which wasn't server rendering and it was incredibly popular as this kind of starter template. A little bit hard to eject, but it was still like a way to get started with React. Next.js brought in server rendering, and then it became the poster child of this kind of next thing where everyone was like, okay, I want something that does all the stuff, and it's very easy to get started with. So it's gone to a point now, and I think this is a big part of the conversation, which is why it was obvious it was going to go this way, which is why we started on it you know, a couple of years ago, that even for React, their official line is don't just pick up React. Like if you're starting a new project, don't just go, okay, npm install React. Go install Next. Go install Remix or whatnot. Like they're telling people that if you want to start a new React project today, that's like all React, like all in on React, like not like where you have, you know, trying to make your React work with your PHP backend or whatever, but you're like fully in on React. That means you need to use one of our meta frameworks. We do not recommend using anything else. They, they even have like a warning in the docs that were saying like, "Hey, you can go maybe use something like a Beat Starter, but we don't, but we don't rec- recommend it." Yeah, yeah. So like, it's 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 quite a big shift when you talk about the biggest player in the ecosystem taking that stance, but it's also justified. And finally, Daniel Thompson Futo co-founder of Tari, returned to talk about the latest release of Tari 2.0. Tari sits in that sweet spot of application development where you have a user interface and uh, you have some code that people interact with. It could be a database locally, it could be an API remotely. And what Tauri does is it allows developers with, for example, web skills like HTML, CSS, 
JavaScript to build these engaging, fluid 60 FPS user interfaces and ship native apps. You've probably heard of similar types of technology like Electron, which is a desktop system based on Node.js and Chromium, or even Capacitor for the old timers around here. It used to be called Cordova and had another name before that. And these all sort of work under the premise that different operating systems provide a, a thing called a web view, which is basically like a stripped down web browser. And, you know, there's no search bar and there's no back button, but it does render HTML in a pretty compliant way. And I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of users of the Tauri framework, they've entered the ecosystem from this perspective. I have these skills as a web dev and I want to make some apps. And there's always been these discussions about, isn't a PWA, a progressive web app, basically the same thing? Why do I even need to do this kind of calisthenics? And what, what you find out once you start looking into the architecture of what makes an app, there are a lot of things that browsers do differently than what you might expect. And the browser specifications are changing all the time. One recent example is there is no guarantee on the web if you're using, for example, Safari, that data that is stored inside of the cookies or local storage or IndexedDB persists for more than two weeks. So you're going to have to have a remote service that somehow rehydrates that data, which means that, I mean, it's clear why they made these decisions. And I'm not angry with the Safari team or the Blink team or whoever's behind WebKit. I, I know that they make their decisions for very important reasons. Usually it's security, sometimes it's business. But with Tauri, we let you decide, hey, I want to have a database. I want to use SQLite in the back end and I want it to be locally on my user's device. So we try to give this flexibility to leverage what you know and the superpowers of the Rust programming language and ecosystem to really accelerate performance if you, you do end up needing that. And that's it for today, Friday, November 3rd. You can check out the full episodes linked in our show notes or on our feed. And if you like what you hear, follow PodRocket for more great web development content. See you at the next roundup. This episode was brought to you by LogRocket. Try it for free at logrocket.com. Thank you.